So anyway, we're going to um, go to Proverbs today, but if you want to start in Genesis chapter 2, uh, today we're going to continue this teaching we're doing all through the summer, kind of hitting some of the big topics that the book of Proverbs covers. And today we're going to be talking about something that's going to be practical and relevant to everybody here, and that's just what the Christian view of work is. Um, I know this is practical because we're going to be spending most of our lives working, and, and I know that the way that we view our jobs really will affect how we do them and will affect in a big way how we live our lives. You know, we, we tend to have this idea, because our jobs are pretty terrible, uh, we have this idea that work is a bad thing. That what happened way back when is uh, the way things were supposed to go on Paradise Earth was we were supposed to be sitting in a garden on a couch, watching a big screen TV, surround sound, and monkeys feeding us grapes, and that was supposed to be the way things went. But then Adam and Eve sinned, and God says there's got to be some kind of punishment, so you've got to go to paychecks every day. That's how it's going to work. And so, so we tend to treat work like it's a sentence. And, and that's because pretty often it feels like that. We feel like we have to go. We're putting in our time. We have to be there. There's no way out. And so we have that view of work, and then we treat work accordingly, like it's just this necessary evil that I have to do. I have to go through this. And it, it shapes the way that we work. It shapes the way we live, and it shapes our witness to people around us in a pretty negative way, if that's our view of what work is. So starting in Genesis, and we actually, um, we didn't plan on going to Genesis every week, but we've been there almost every week in this Proverbs series. And that's because Proverbs is a book about the way God's world works. And in Genesis, we see the way God's world began. And, and so understanding how his world works, it really takes understanding how it all began. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, uh, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it gives light to every area of our lives. We thank you that you haven't just left us here in darkness to wonder what we're supposed to do with our time, to wonder the way things work, but you've told us what we need to know. Um, so God, I pray you'd open our eyes, uh, draw us to you. Uh, more than anything, I pray that you'd be drawing our hearts toward Jesus today. And, and as you do, I pray that that would affect everything in our lives, affect our relationships, our marriages, our families, our kids, and our jobs. Uh, so teach us this morning. We pray that your spirit would be uh, informing our minds, but also drawing our hearts to love these things. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis 2, verse 7, uh, here's how the story actually went. It says, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So God's made everything, uh, and he's made everything by speaking. And now God goes to make man, and the way that God does that is by forming him out of the dust of the ground. So one of the first things we see God doing in the Bible after he creates everything is God jumps in and gets his hands dirty. And he starts starts working that dust of the ground to form man. Now this is important because if, if work is only a punishment for sin, if it's only a sentence, then God wouldn't be doing it. I mean, God didn't need punishment. God didn't sin. He, he, he's the one who hands out sentences. He, he doesn't have a sentence on him. And so, so when we see God working in a way that's in the ground, getting dirty, that tells us that work has dignity. Um, Even the kind of work that sometimes would be considered menial work, the kind that that makes you dirty while you're doing it, God does that. So we know right away that work isn't a sentence. We know that it's important, and he didn't have to do this. I mean, he he made this whole joint by speaking. So so he could have made man by speaking. I mean, he, he made the animals by speaking. He could have done that with us, but he wanted to teach us something. So he gets down into the dirt, and he forms man out of the dust of the ground. And then in verse 8, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So then God plants a garden. We don't really know if this was you know, by hand or by speaking, but he makes this garden, and then he puts Adam there. 
And then if you skip to verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So now remember, this is before anybody had sinned. This was before there was a fall. This is before there was any punishment that needed to be handed out. God gets dirty and works the ground, and then he takes man, puts him in the garden, and says, your job is to work this place. Your job is to work this garden and keep it. So work wasn't a sentence for sin. It was actually part of who we are. We were created to be workers, and this is before the fall. We weren't created just to lay around. We weren't created just to sit on the couch and watch TV. We were created to do something, to, to do something with our bodies, with our minds, do work. And so, so if creation had all gone in a perfect way, where there was no sin, there was no fall, there would still be lots of work happening. Uh, the, the wilderness would still have been subdued by people. Economies would have been formed. Products would have been developed. Technology would be used. Uh, there would be merchants buying pearls and people mining gold. There would be all kinds of work going on, people raising kids. All of that would have happened even in a non-fallen world. So work by itself is a good thing. God gave it to us before the fall, and we need to treat it like it's a blessing. So when you clock in at your job, don't quietly, under your breath, curse Adam and blame him for that thing. Um, God designed work. So you say, okay, but, but my job really stinks. Uh, this, this doesn't feel like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling God's presence all over this thing when I'm picking up my janitor's mop in the morning. I, I don't, why is my job so terrible if they're supposed to be so good? And that's where Genesis 3.16, it says, um, this is after the fall, they broke the rules, they sinned, and now God's handing out the sentence. It says, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. So the jobs that God had given them to do became hard. It's not that the jobs became evil, became a sentence, but all kinds of sentence got added to those jobs. Uh, just like Adam fought back against God when God had given him commands not to eat from that fruit, the fruit of the tree, God said, now the ground is going to fight back against you. It's not going to act the way that you want it to act. So you'll go out and plant your farm, but there are going to be thorns and thistles. You're going to have to work like crazy. You're going to have to sweat. It's going to be miserable. And then at the end of the whole thing, you're going to die and turn back to dust. So the reason that your job stinks is not because work is bad. It's not because jobs in general just have to stink. It's because there is some sentence that's been added to them. The ground fights back, even as part of God's grace, that the way that we act toward God and resisting God all the time, that's the way your job acts toward you and resisting you all the time. So now you go out and you plant your garden, but you're planting, or you're planting your lawn in soil that wants to produce Creeping Charlie and Clover. You're building houses, but you're building them on soil with radon in it and out of materials that don't work right and with cement that doesn't set the right way. You're opening your restaurant, but you're doing it in the face of government that makes it hard for you and customers that want to sue you. You're, you're cleaning an office building, but you're cleaning this place where people are slobs, and you're going to be cleaning it again next week. It's going to keep happening. It feels a little bit futile. You're repairing cars, but those cars rust, and they break more, and you fix one thing, and something else breaks. I mean, we're, we're feeling this this week. I, I can't remember the last time that we had everything working on, on both of our cars. Um, 
alarms go off in the middle of a sermon for no reason. I don't know, don't know what that is either. Um, so, so there's an awful lot that is um, futile out there. And there's a lot, uh, the work that we're called to do, the ground just fights back at us. So, so work itself is noble, but it's hard. And it's hard because of the curse. Uh, now if you want to turn over to Proverbs 24. We know that work's hard because of the curse, but we also know that work has dignity. Work was made as a noble thing by God. Um, now, I'm saying this about nearly every job. There are jobs that are not good and that don't have dignity. You know, obviously, we, we shouldn't be crack dealers. Um, that's not a job that God created. Uh, we, we shouldn't be people who are hitmen. So if you're going to college for that, you should change your major. That's, that's not a Christian option. Uh, we shouldn't do things that are shady. Uh, we shouldn't be the type of salesman who have to lie to make our sales. We shouldn't do things that are deceptive. We shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't be people that are a drain on society. But if we're doing things that are not bad and are good in some way, in some form, then that's work that has dignity and is a good thing. Um, and what we're all called to, what we're all made for, is to spend our time working. Now, before I go further, let me say that when I say that we're all supposed to work, I'm not saying that all of us should necessarily get paid for the work that we do. There's some work that we're called to do in society and in the families that is not something that we get paid for. You know, my wife right now is a stay-at-home mom, and um, every Sunday she gets four kids out of the house to the 9 a.m. service after dressing all of them, and one with one foot right now. And so, but, but she does it every week, and she's always on time. Somehow she does that, and then all week long is doing the hard work of raising these kids. Um, we're called to do that kind of work, but it's not necessarily something that's going to make money. Um, my wife does not get paid well financially for, for the work that she does. The only way that she's going to get rich financially off this deal is if I die. And then life insurance is going to take care of her. So, so I try to behave um, because she knows that. And so, so there, are good thi- there are good things that we're called to do. We're all called to be diligent. We're all ca- called to work hard. But sometimes some of those areas that we work hard are not areas that we necessarily get paid for. And all throughout the book of Proverbs, you see this, this wise father teaching his son about the way the world works, and one guy that he keeps talking about is a guy that he calls the sluggard, the guy who's like a slug, the lazy person who doesn't work. In Proverbs 24, verse 30, he says, I passed by the field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. So he walks by the field of this lazy guy, and it's a mess. It's not producing a crop. This guy's not getting food out of his land. And he he points this out so that his son can learn from somebody else's mistake. He says, this guy doesn't have anything to eat. He has a field that's not producing anything like all these other foods, or like all these other fields. Uh, Everybody else is working hard, making some kind of crops come out of their field. This guy is staying inside, perfecting his World of Warcraft skills and updating his Facebook profile picture every day and and devoting himself to those kind of things instead of doing the hard work of fighting back thorns and thistles and actually getting something done. But because this guy lacked sense, he didn't see it coming. Verse 33, here's what happened. He says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest— and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So this guy's lazy, and as a result of being lazy, he becomes poor. Now, now let me make sure I say this. Not all poor people are lazy. Jesus was poor and wasn't lazy. He was poor for other reasons, because of the type of the work that he was doing. 
um, there are good reasons to become poor. You know, for example, we can be generous in our giving, and we should all be generous to the point where we feel that, where we feel the pinch, where our life isn't all that it would be if we weren't generous. We accept some degree of poverty because of the amount of generosity in our lives, and that's a good thing. So being poor by itself is not an evil thing, and there are multiple routes to poverty, and they're not all bad. They're not all sinful. But Proverbs does say that one of those roads to poverty is sloth or laziness, not being diligent. One of those roads. It also says that if you work hard and smart, if you're diligent, then that's a road to having more than enough. So Proverbs 10 verse 4, it says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So he says if you work really hard, then you're going to be rich. If you work real hard, you'll have the resources that you need. Now immediately, hopefully you're thinking of all the exceptions. Hopefully, hopefully when you read through scripture, you're very um, inquisitive, asking questions. You're, you're asking the, well, what about this? What about this? And we can all think of them. Um, we all know about trust fund kids who are lazy and never work a day in their lives, uh, wake up every day at noon and then go out and party and then get home at two or three in the morning and then sleep in, wake up, hit the hammock and then get up and then go out and party. And they do that every day, but because their father was super wealthy, their mother was super wealthy, the checks never run out, they keep getting their allowance, they're very lazy, but they never become poor. But doesn't Proverbs say that if you're lazy, you'll get poor? We also know people who work real hard, but they just fall on hard times, who go out there and they're working like crazy, but then their industry just dries up, and now they're, they're broke. Or people who, who work real hard, but then somebody sues them in some kind of frivolous lawsuit, and they never recover from it. Or they work real hard, but then they get sick, and the insurance doesn't cover those medical bills, and they never recover. Or somebody lives in a country where there are warlords, and they work real hard, but then all of their crops get stolen, and things go bad, and there's still famine. We think of all these exceptions, and we look at Proverbs, and we say, what's the deal? Like, how could you say that if you work hard, you'll become rich, and if you're lazy, you'll become poor, when we know of all of these exceptions that are out there? And this is an important thing for us to catch as we go through this book of Proverbs. We need to understand what a proverb is. A proverb is a principle, but not necessarily a promise. Now, what I mean by this is that when Proverbs tells us, here's the way the world works, it's not saying, here's how things work 100 times out of 100. It's, it's just wisdom for living, where it's saying, this is the way things normally go. Uh, for example, if, if your son, Ralphie, asks you for a BB gun for Christmas. And, uh, and you say, no, I'm not going to get you a BB gun because you'll shoot your eye out. Are you saying that 100 times out of 100, kids who get BB guns shoot their eyes out? No, you're just saying things work that way sometimes. You're speaking a proverb. You're not lying. You're just saying, hey, here's the way things normally work, Ralphie. You'll shoot your eye out. So you, you don't get it. Uh, if your daughter climbs up to the very top of a tree and you say, hey, get down from there. You'll break your neck. You're not saying, I'm guaranteeing this time in the tree, you're going to fall out and you're going to break your neck. You're saying, you know, if you spend your life climbing trees in haphazard ways like that, there's a real good chance that eventually you fall out, and if you fall that far, you could break your neck. You're saying, this is the way things generally work. You're giving a truism, you're giving a proverb. You're not saying this is an absolute promise that 100 times out of 100, things go this way. Uh, for example, one of the proverbs we looked at last week, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 33, um, he says, for pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. Um, you can press a nose and not produce blood. 
my wife has this nose that um, it, it doesn't, it's beautiful, but it doesn't have anything hard in it. Like it's, it's made out of like a, a sponge-like material everywhere in there. And so you could press it and she wouldn't be able to breathe through it, but you're not going to break anything. It's, it's not going to bleed. So I know of the exception to that proverb. When we read through Proverbs, we don't want to say, well, there can't be any exceptions to these things, because the danger is that then we start to judge people by them. You know, we read Proverbs 10.4, and we say, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And then we start to assume that every poor person is poor because they were lazy. And we become judgmental jerks. We don't want to be that way. We're supposed to be people who are slow to speak, quick to listen, listen to their stories. Don't be the Christian who drives by the homeless guy on the street, rolls down your window, and yells, get a job. That's not how we're supposed to interpret Scripture. That's not what we're supposed to do with these Proverbs. We're supposed to listen to people because they've got stories. And maybe they got to where they are because they're lazy, but maybe because they're sick or because hard times came or calamity came. There's probably something or there's often something else to that story. So when we read through Proverbs, we should say, this is good, this tells me the way the world works, this, this points me in the direction of good wisdom, but we don't want to make these universals that we judge everybody by. You hear it a lot of times when it comes to child rearing too, you know, like the proverb that says, train up your children in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. And immediately we say, if, there's, if someone has a 30-year-old kid who walks away from the faith, there must have been hidden sin in their parents, they must have done something wrong, this must be their fault. Not always. There, there are exceptions to these things. Uh, so Proverbs 10, verse 5. We're, we're going to be all over today, so feel free to turn to any of these that you can, but we'll put them all up on the screen too. And just to let you know where we're going, um, if you've been coming for a while, you know that usually we go straight to the heart of issues, where, where the work that we do on the outside is just the fruit of something deeper going on in our hearts with, uh, in relationship to Jesus and our faith in the gospel. We are going to circle back around to talk about how our faith in Jesus actually motivates all the stuff we're talking about. But Proverbs talks so much about the fruits of a good work life that we're going to actually do something different today. We're going to start with those fruits and then circle back around to the heart issue. So hopefully 10 minutes from now you'll be going, okay, when are we talking about Jesus? He's coming. We're going to get there, and, and he will be the one who drives all that. We're not changing gears today or anything like that. But Proverbs, man, I, even this morning I was trying to cut stuff out of the sermon because it says so much about work, which just amazes me because I have heard so little about work in church. Um, where I hear pastors talk a lot about how much, like what it's like to be a pastor, but very little about what, how the way work is supposed to go. But, but Proverbs is very true to life and just shows us the way a good work life is supposed to be. Um, so we've got this general teaching that if you, if you work hard, you'll have plenty. If you don't, you'll get poor. But getting poor is not the only reason to, to avoid laziness. Another reason is that God's made us all to be contributors to a community. We're all supposed to do something, and our presence in any community, whether it's a church community or a broader community, we do take some resources out of that community just by being there. We've all got to eat something. We all need some energy to be poured into us. And so being a good part of a community means that I'm supposed to contribute back to that community. Ideally, I'm supposed to contribute more than that community pours into me. That's why Proverbs 10.5 says, He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So someone who's lazy isn't just someone who gets poor, but also someone who brings shame because he's not contributing to the community around him. Now, I know when we talk about work and wealth and things like that, um, 
there, there are people who start to feel guilty. And I know that there are people, even people in our church, who legitimately, for legitimate reasons, can't work right now. And I want you to know that if you legitimately can't work, there's no shame in not working. Uh, as a church community, we're called to bear one another's burdens. And this will mean at times some of us get laid off and some of us get sick. And we see it as a non-negotiable to make sure that nobody in our church starves. Um, all, all the time, behind the scenes, we're helping people out uh, who, who fall on those hard times, helping people with groceries. We help members with, with rent if they need to. You know, with that, we give them some financial counseling and make sure that they are stewarding what they have well. But we do help one another, and there's no shame in asking. So, so if you're falling on hard times, part of being part of a church is that we're going to help you. And we understand you're going to get back on your feet, you're going to give something then, and we'll be using that to help somebody else. That's what a community does. So, so please don't hear any of this as some rebuke if you break your leg and you can't work for a month. We want to help you. So please, please let us know. But it is a shameful thing to be a drag on a community because you refuse to be diligent. There's a difference between not being able to work and refusing to work. Proverbs calls that a shame. It calls it a shameful thing when we are a drag on people and we won't contribute more than we get out of a community. Listen to Proverbs 10.26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. If you've ever been sitting around a campfire when the wind shifts and the smoke starts blowing in your eyes, immediately you want to move. You start coughing, you're annoyed by it, you want to move, and you move, and then the smoke, or the smoke follows you anyway. And so it's just this frustrating situation. And he says, if you've got someone who's lazy and you're depending on them, it's incredibly frustrating. As Christians, we shouldn't want to be the one who, who frustrates everybody else. And this can be in broad, in society, we shouldn't be the ones who are taking more than we give. And also in a church, we shouldn't be the ones who are taking more than we give. You know, a lot of times we can treat church like a consumer product, and I'm a consumer, and I come in and I say, this church has to be just right for me. I want there to be reliable workers who are teaching my kids, but I won't be a reliable volunteer anywhere in the church. I'm not saying everybody needs to be a children's worker. We need more, but, but I'm not saying everybody needs to do that. But everybody should say, if I expect these people to be serving me, there should be a way that I'm serving them. You know, we shouldn't just say, I just want to hear uh, good teaching, and I want to worship, and I want to receive counseling. I want to have this place to invite my friends to. I want to see this place plant, plant churches and send missionaries, but I don't want to contribute to that. That's all the attitude of a sluggard, and the Bible calls that a shameful thing. We shouldn't be those unreliable consumers. We should be reliable contributors. And when we fall in hard times, we'll be right there to pick you up and, and don't worry about it. Um, so... Let me just real quickly lay out three forms of laziness that Proverbs talks about, um, because the first one's the one we normally think of, but the, the other ones we don't normally associate with laziness. And the first one is what is just the lying around, not doing anything lazy. Uh, Proverbs 26, 14 says, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. If you, if you see the way that a door turns on its hinges, it just goes back and forth and never really goes anywhere. It maybe makes some noise and creaks but it doesn't actually move. It just swings back and forth. And there is a form of laziness where we don't do anything with our lives. We just lay around and we, we spend all of our time in the hammock, all of our time in bed, get up, and we don't do anything productive. We just swing back and forth, and that's not good. Verse 15 is funny. It says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. 
So, so here's this guy sitting on the couch, big bowl of chips, hand goes down in the dish, he says, man, it takes an awful lot of work to get that chip to my mouth. It's not worth it. So, so he wants to eat, he wants the good things that are around him, but he doesn't want to put in any effort to get there. If only I had someone who would come and lift these chips to my mouth so I wouldn't get so exhausted. Then you put dip on them, man, man, I don't know if my biceps can handle that. And so th- that's the one form of sluggard uh, is, is the I'm going to do nothing, everything's going to wear me out, everything's going to be too much for me. That's the kind of laziness we're familiar with. But laziness can also look very busy and active. Kind of the George Costanza kind of just look busy kind of laziness. Where, where we want to be moving, we want to be doing something, but we don't want to be doing the hard things that make us productive. Listen to Proverbs 26, 13. One of the, the things we do to keep ourselves busy so we don't look so lazy is we make excuses. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. So you come to someone and say, hey, man, you're not going to work today again? No. There's a lion out in the road. Well, lions come into the road sometimes, but... You know, that's kind of the risk we take. Everybody goes to work. That, that can't really be an excuse. Oh, well, well it's an excuse for me. I'm, I'm not going to take any chance with lions. And so we spend a lot of time justifying not working instead of actually going out and going to work. And sometimes we can even spend more energy justifying our laziness, sometimes driven by irrational fears like lions in the road. We spend a lot of time doing that instead of actually going out and, and putting our shoulder to the plow and doing something. You say, well, we'll just talk some sense into those guys. But look at verse 16. It says, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. You've probably met this person where you sit down with them and, uh, and you say, listen, you've got to take the risk. There are lions in the street sometimes, but everybody else goes to work. So, so go out there, get a nine to five and work. And then immediately, they're too good for that job. Yeah, you know, it's, it's nine to five, but it's a desk job, and that's boring. People who work those jobs, they just get all the life sucked out of them. I'm, I'm kind of better than them. Uh, that job over there, it's too menial. You know, I'm not into to working with my body. I like to work with my mind. I'm more of an ideas kind of guy. Um, so, so I'm not going to go, and I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm better than that. Or I've got this college degree, and I expect an awful lot more than these people are offering me. So I'm not going to go to work, because I know that I'm worth more than these people say. I'm too good for, to work. I'm too good to listen. And he uses this arrogance to just justify laziness and not doing anything. So we've got that active, excuse-making laziness that can drive us. Another form of laziness is working very hard, pursuing crazy fantasies. Look at Proverbs 12:11. He says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Proverbs 14:23 says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. So one of the ways we can not be lazy but actually be lazy is instead of working honest jobs, we pursue get-rich-quick schemes or buying lottery tickets or running after jobs that aren't actually going to be useful to people around us but jobs that will give us a lot of glory. Um, and, And these are the people you talk to and they're right on the cusp of becoming millionaires but right now they're not making anything. And it stays that way for a decade. We've got these dreams and these crazy fantasies that we're running after because I was up till three last night and I watched this infomercial that said if I put these tiny classified ads in newspapers, people are just going to start sending me checks. And so so that's what I'm doing. That sounded like work that I can do. And we start to pursue those fantasies. And as we pursue those fantasies with an awful lot of effort, awful lot of hours, we can go broke. And we say, what's wrong? I'm not lazy. Well, if we won't do work that's fruitful, 
that is a form of laziness. You know, I, I think it's good for Christians to, to dream big, but we should be dreaming about doing good for other people, not dreaming about making ourselves celebrities. That's more of a worthless pursuit. You know, nobody ever says, you know who's really valuable in our society? Celebrities. What would we do without them? Uh, no, we just kind of look at them and we say, they're sort of extra. Um, you know, if, if you're off on the rowboat and you've got 10 people and somebody's got to go over, it's probably going to be the celebrity first because you want to keep the people who contribute. But sometimes we have these fantasies, and our fantasies are about becoming people who won't contribute but just get a lot of glory and a lot of money, and it can be a form of laziness. So Proverbs says, don't be like that. And then he gives us a good example. In Proverbs 6, verse 6, he says, go to the ant, O sluggard, Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So he says, look at the ant. Ants don't have mommies waking them up in the morning. And, and getting them to go out and do stuff with their day, they just get up and they work and they do productive things. He says, don't be like a slug, be like the ant. Now this immediately brings up all kinds of questions. And I'm going to try to answer some practical questions here before we get to the heart of it. But you might say, you know, I don't have any skills. You know, it's too late for me. Uh, I, I had skills before. I, I made some bad decisions earlier on. Now I'm married. I've got kids. I've got family. It's not like I can just go back to school full time. So what am I supposed to do? I, I don't have skills. It seems like my life's never going to go anywhere. Proverbs 27, 18 says this. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. This proverb mentions two menial jobs. Now, here's this guy. He's got no real capital, but he's got a fig tree. He says, go and tend that fig tree, and you'll get some fruit off of it. Somebody else who's got no real power, he's got got an owner. It sounds like this guy's some kind of slave or some kind of servant. He's not in management. And he says, go there and help make your master successful. And what will happen is you'll end up being honored. So what we're called to is to do what we can do, do it as well as we can, and then usually somehow that pays off. Yeah, and maybe you've had some hard times, and maybe you didn't inherit the farm from your dad, but you do have that one fig tree. So he says, go out and start there. And you say, you don't understand. I can't even start there. We're in a down economy, and I just cannot find a job. I, I know it's tough. It's, it's not as tough in Rochester as it is in some other cities. But we really are called to diligence, and sometimes that can just mean diligence looking for a job. You know, getting up in the morning and printing out the entire listing of all the jobs you can find, sending out thousands of resumes, looking somewhere for some kind of job you can do. And then you can usually get that done. I mean, it's, a lot of the listings are the same ones day after day. You can get that done fairly early and then spend the rest of your day working hard trying to, to make a job. Now, I wish I had time to, to talk about Christian entrepreneurship, but I think there's so much value in Christians being entrepreneurs. Uh, I, would, I would blog about it if I weren't so lazy, but um, it says, <laughs> so it might just be that what you do is you wake up and you apply to those jobs for a few hours in the morning, but then you go out and try to make one and you say, listen, I, I built homes for a living. I was in construction and that industry has gone. People just aren't building houses now. Uh, it's not like there are jobs. You apply, and there are 300 people applying for every open spot. Well, what about applying for every open spot and then printing out 10,000 flyers for your new deck-making company and then spending your day handing out those flyers, going door-to-door, -door, spreading the word that you can build a nice deck 
and you hire a graphic designer for 50 bucks to put together a decent looking flyer with a picture of that deck you built in the back of your house on it, you go around and just try to make something come of it, probably if you do that for eight to 10 hours a day, somewhere something breaks loose and works. You know your industry better than I do, but if we're diligent, usually something good comes of that, and that is the teaching of Proverbs. You say, okay, I've got this job, but I hate it. You know, I'm going to work 40 or 45 hours a week, and I'm not passionate about what I do. I don't love what I do. There's no, no sense of me actually doing anything good for the world. Then I would say, change it. Look for other jobs, but what about if for a couple years you worked the 45 hours and then did 15 hours of night school? or 15 hours starting that business on the side where you're doing more what it seems like you were made to do and working real hard. And I know that's 60 hours a week, and that's not an ideal place to be, but working 60 hours a week, you can still see family and kids. It's not where you want to be for your entire life, but if you're really efficient with your time and cut, cut out everything that's unnecessary for a couple of years, you can get there. Uh, I know when we were starting Grace Road, um, I, I just felt like pastoring a church like Grace Road was what I was gifted and called to do, but that church didn't exist. You know, we, we weren't around, we had our core group, and even when we planted, we weren't big enough for that to be something where I could get a salary from it, or a full-time salary that would feed my family, I was paid. But uh, I wasn't able to get a full-time salary from it, so I had to do other stuff on the side to make that happen. And so I got this job working for uh, insurance companies, inspecting houses for them, and so bought a brick of AA batteries for my digital camera and one of those little measuring wheel things, went around to houses, measured their houses, took pictures of them. Not something that I felt called to, not something that I loved. I had to, on a lot of them, take pictures of people's dogs because certain dogs do more damage and they're more of an insurance liability. So, so I had to say, um, okay, can I take a picture of your dog? And then <laughs> take a picture of their dog, try to get it to smile um, and look at the camera. And I never felt like that was this awesome work that I was called to do. I didn't like put a cape on in the morning and fly out the door saying, I'm off to keep the world safe from inappropriate insurance rates. It, it wasn't this passion I had. But I was able to do that for that first year while I was kind of building what I was passionate about doing, what I know I'm supposed to be doing for the world. And with a lot of God's blessing, God's world is green and things do tend to grow here. And if you go out and you work your garden and try to do some fruitful work, then eventually things, things grow. And you hear that and you say, yeah, but that's church work. You know, God blesses stuff like that. Obviously, he's going to bless the desire to plant a church and reach people and see the gospel preached. I mean, he, that's what God's all about. He's going to energize stuff like that. But I'm a businessman. I'm a carpenter. I'm an entrepreneur. I can't do my work with that same faith that God will bless me. Yes, you can. Uh, I, I think it's a terrible thing that we've said that clergy jobs are the real spiritual jobs for the varsity Christians and that everything else is for a junior varsity Christian at best. I think that's a messed up view of the world. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So there are people out there who are praying for food. And what does it take for somebody to get food? I mean, someone who lives in a big city and needs bread tomorrow. What that takes is a farmer to plant some wheat. And then it takes someone to build a tractor so that they can harvest that wheat. And it takes someone to build the equipment that waters that wheat while it's growing. It takes someone to pave the road so that they can ship that wheat to the bakery. It takes someone to work at that bakery. It takes someone to plow the driveway of that bakery so that they can go to work. It takes someone to drive the trucks to get that stuff to Wegmans. 
It takes some people to work the cash registers and the shelves at Wegmans, and then someone goes in and buys them. Thankfully, someone's running the place that, runs the, that makes debit cards, so you can buy them more easily. You bring that home, that bread's on your plate, and God says, there's your answer to prayer. So God plants the wheat through the farmer. He builds the tractor through the guy who's working at that factory. He, he plows the roads through the guys driving the plow. It's all God's work. Martin Luther um, was trying to encourage people, uh, milkmaids, who felt like they weren't really doing anything significant for the kingdom of God with all their time. They kind of had that idea, if I were really spiritual, I'd be a nun or something. And he says, man, when you're milking those cows, God is milking them through you. When you're changing those diapers, God is changing them through you. God uses all of these honest jobs to answer that prayer to give us this day our daily bread. So you can expect the same kind of encouragement and energy that God would give a ministry or a church project for that other project that you're going after. One guy came up to Martin Luther and he said, "Uh, I want to serve the Lord with my time. What should I do? And so Luther said to him, well, what is it that you do? And he said, I'm a cobbler. I make shoes. So, So how do I serve God? And he says, then make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. I would add to that, then take all the influence that you get by being one of the best shoemakers around and use that to speak the message of Jesus to people around you. Use that to show people what it's like to live a Christian life in the middle of a business community that's predominantly not Christian. Do those things and do them so well and then use that influence for the spread of the gospel. If you make money doing that, use your wealth to plow back into the human community and push back darkness around you all over the place. Proverbs 22 says this in verse 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. So do stuff and whatever you do, Do it with all your might. Do it well. And do it with some of the passion that can come from believing that God's doing this through me. If you have a job that's evil, you have a job that's immoral, then you shouldn't have any of that confidence going in there. You should feel like it's always going to drop, the floor is always going to drop out and you're going to lose that thing. But if you're doing something that does some kind of good for someone in society, do it with passion. Do it in a good way. So you say, well, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? It's, it's a good question. I think it's one of the harder ones to answer. But a purpose of work is to do good for other people and lift burdens for them. So start there. Start by saying, what can I do that would be good somewhere in this society? Um, if you've got this idea of some, some job you wanted to do or some business you wanted to start, ask yourself, is this good for other people or is this just to make me look like a celebrity and make me rich? Can I actually do something that's going to be a contribution in this society? Ask yourself, what gifts do I have? What skills do I have? What training have I received? What's my track record? Where have I been in life that would lead me to believe that there's something next? That, what directs me to where I should go? Then talk to some wise people who will help you think through things. And don't talk to the people who are just going to tell you every idea you come up with is a good one. Like, that's not helpful. Um, you know, if I sit down with my wife and I say, Debbie, I, I think I'm supposed to be an NBA star. I don't want her to say, well, you can be whatever you want to be. I don't need a a Christian inspirational calendar. (laughs) I need someone who will actually speak into my life and help me with things. I want her to say to me, well, you're 34. Um, You can't jump or shoot or dribble. Um, You don't like to run. (laughs) You you aren't in shape. Uh, I want her to say to me, that's a dumb idea. 
I need people around me who will speak that into my life. But then I also need people who are honest, not just people who are ready to beat me down, who I say, I've got this idea. I think we could do this. I think, man, when we planted Grace Road, I was very insecure about the thing. And I had people around me like Jeff Lawrence and Paul Cross who are speaking into my life, talking about the giftedness, speaking with confidence. Yeah, I think God could use this. I think this could be something that you could be used to do. And then because we had that, then we were able to kind of take a risk and see, see some of it uh, bear fruit. So try to find that area of calling. If you're not doing something that you feel like is actually good for people, work toward getting to that place, whether by finding it, starting it, uh, take some risks, and the whole while to do all that, you're going to need to trust God. Now this is where we really get to the heart of things, because there are two, two abuses of work. One is overwork. Um, now, the book of Proverbs says very little about overwork. The Bible says a lot about it. But the book of Proverbs says very little. And I think some of that is because in Proverbs, you have this guy trying to teach his son how to do life. And if you've ever tried to teach a teenage kid, you know that it's not hard to teach most teenagers to not work. It's hard to teach them to work. And so he puts a lot of effort into teaching his kids to work. Um, but overwork is a risk. It's a risk for us as adults because we tend to get our identity from our jobs. We say, I have to succeed at this. I've got to go after this. I've got to be the best and beat everybody else. Uh, I get my security from my job. I get my identity from my job. I'll sacrifice my family for my job. That's a risk that we take, and that, that's something that we have to avoid. The other risk is the one we've talked about, which is, is laziness. And one of the reasons that we're lazy is because we just don't have much hope that God would bless me. I mean, I, I know my heart. At least I know some of it. And, and it's not good. You know, if God's looking out over everybody and saying, who's good so that I can bless him, he's not going to pick me. So I'm going to be a little bit hesitant to start a business or, or a little bit hesitant to start a ministry or start a church and be a little bit hesitant to pour all my energy into my kids because it just seems like God's just not going to bless that because I know my heart. You know, eventually it's going to go badly. Eventually my kids are going to rebel. Uh, things just don't work for me, and it's because I know about the sinfulness that I've got. Proverbs actually says something like that. Proverbs 15, 19, it says, The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. You notice how it says things will go well for you if you're upright? But I'm not upright. I'm not. I mean, there's sin there. I, I can't claim to be upright. So I should just expect thorns. I should just expect things to go badly for me all the time. I shouldn't expect that God would bless me or energize me because I'm just not worthy of it. But this is where we need to believe the gospel. Jesus Christ, the only upright one, lived the perfect life, the only one who deserved the highway. He came, and when he died, they beat a crown of thorns into his head. Jesus took the thorns for us. That curse that God had put on work way back in the garden, Jesus took that curse on his head, and when he died on the cross, he took the thorns that we deserved so that we could have the highway that he deserves. So yeah, if I'm looking at my own righteousness and saying, okay, yeah, God should bless me because I'm awesome, I could never convince myself of that. But if I'm saying, I deserve thorns, but Jesus took them, so now I don't have to live feeling like God's just out to smite me and punish me and beat me down and wreck all my dreams, then that frees me up to treat work the right way. I can take some risks. I can try some things, knowing that God blesses his people and he does bless hard work, and not think that just because I've sinned that my work will never go well. 
so I can work it and work very hard because now I've got hope. I've got hope that eventually all the thorns are going away anyway, and I've got hope that God blesses his kids because of what Jesus did for me. And so that makes me not just swing back and forth on the hinges and lay around all day. That makes me get up and do something. And that gives me hope for my kids and raising our kids and all the hard work that that takes. You know, I don't want to just convince myself, well, I'm, I'm so sinful, they're just eventually going to rebel anyway. That's not a hopeful way to think. A hopeful way to think is that, that Jesus Christ took the penalty for my sin, and so there is great hope for my kids. There is great hope that putting some work into them will produce the wealth of their character and their godliness. There is that hope. Also, believing the gospel will free us from that drivenness and that inability to rest. It'll free us from that overwork, too, because we don't get our identity from work. Work is good stuff where we do, and we were made to do work, but if a layoff comes, it doesn't totally wreck us. If we don't produce this week, even though we worked hard, it doesn't ruin the week. We don't feel like we're always burdened and always weighed down with how work is doing. We're actually free from that because we believe the gospel. So as Christians, what we're called to more than anything is to believe that gospel, that Jesus took the thorns for us, that he provided the highway for us. We're called to go out and work in hope, understanding that there will be setbacks because there are still thorns growing out there. And we're called to do good things with our days, with our careers, with our time at home. And we do those things in our diligence. The Bible says a lot about rest, and we're supposed to rest too, and we, we don't even have time to get into it today. But a question to ask ourselves is, is where, do you, where do you fall on that spectrum? Do you tend to overwork? Then what about believing the gospel so that you don't get your identity from work anymore and you can be free enough from it? Do you tend to underwork? Then what about believing the gospel so that you could actually believe that God is for you and blesses you? And if we believe that truth, then all of the fruit of all the diligence that Proverbs talks about does start to come out of our lives. Uh, for now, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes, please. For those of you who, who don't have a relationship with him, my hope this morning is really to invite you to a relationship with Jesus, uh, to, to call you to worship and follow him, to believe in him. And I know if you've heard uh, the religious message, a lot of people would say, well, the way that we get God to like us is by working, by doing a lot of good things, uh, you know, just sort of beating myself up religiously, following commandments, and then maybe, finally, God will like me and God will accept me. But I want you to know that that's not the Christian message. The Christian message is that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glory, we all deserve the curse, we all deserve the thorns. But the good news is that God came to us. As much as we're supposed to be hard workers, no amount of hard work connects us to our God. We can't build a bridge that long. can't build a ladder that tall. So the way that we come into a relationship with God is we accept his work on our behalf. That Jesus Christ toiled for us and lived a righteous life, even though he was tempted in all the same ways we are. He toiled for us and he carried a cross that punished him. That cross that we deserved. We deserved hell. We deserved wrath. We deserved God's judgment. But Jesus took it on himself. And the way that we receive that is not by doing good works to deserve it, but just by trusting. By trusting that he died for us, that he was buried, and that he rose again to take all that punishment for us. And then if we trust in him, then we turn our back on our sin and our unbelief, and we turn to him in belief. And that gets us forgiven. 
gets us God's righteousness. It gets us a guaranteed eternity with God. And it gets us this relationship with God that won't go away, which frees us to be risk takers and hard workers, to expend energy because we know God's for us and replenishes. But also to understand that the, the work that we do and the risks we take, nothing ultimate is hung up in them. So we're free from them enough that we don't get consumed by them. So this morning, I would encourage you to turn from sin and trust in Jesus. And Christians, if you overwork, if you underwork, I'd encourage you to believe the gospel again. To believe the truth about Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection for us. We, we believe, but we need an awful lot of help with our unbelief. And when we do believe in these areas, it does change the way we view work. Uh, Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, it's so rich. Um, there's so much here. There's so much that, um, that we ignore. We ignore so many of your blessings and your grace that would come if we just read your word and believed it. Um, but God, I pray that more than anything, you'd make us people who believe your gospel and then make us people who use our time doing good for other people. Uh, bless those endeavors. Bless the ones that are paid. Bless the ones that are unpaid. And bless them, Lord, uh, by, by keeping us free enough from them so that we don't have everything wrapped up in them, so they're not ultimate, so they don't consume us. But also free us up to, to work very hard knowing that you're for us. We have hope in you and that you're good to us. Uh, Lord, your blessings are rich and free. We don't work to deserve them, but we thank you for the great change that it produces in our lives when we believe in that. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.